Would you pray with me? Father God, we lift up your great and mighty name this morning, knowing that it is your work accomplished on the cross, and your work in the resurrection, Lord, that we know that we can approach your throne with confidence that our sins are covered by the righteousness of Christ. And so we, we praise you and thank you this morning that you would call us friends and more than friends, your sons and daughters adopted by the great work of Christ. And so, Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes further to your gospel truth and your word this morning, God, that you would prepare our minds and our hearts to receive your word. Lord, that you would stir us to respond in faithful obedience to all that you have called us to. So it's in Christ's name we pray this morning. Amen. If you would, turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15. I'm going to turn the air down. Hello again. This morning, as we take a break from the book of Acts, we'll be looking at 1 Corinthians 15 in a sermon that I've entitled Gospel Renewal. Now, I'm not sure if your job is like this, but if you've ever been in the military, one of the unusual characteristics, at least unusual in my experience, is what you do almost half the time is train. You're always training. I think literally, Men and women in the military spend a third of their time training over and over and over the same things over and over. And there's a reason for that, situational readiness, so that at any, any circumstance that might come up, your training hopefully will kick in and you accomplish your task. And that is similar to the role of the gospel in the life of those of us who have been saved by Christ. We need to continually be trained, if you will, or renewed in the gospel truth. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. Now, before we get into this, uh, just a little context that's very important. If you've read either of the Corinthian letters, you know this was a dysfunctional church. They had serious issues. In fact, Paul spent a few years on his third journey writing four different letters to help them. We have two of them preserved here in Scripture. And as far as chapter 15 goes, one of the problems in this church is there were church members, maybe even teachers, who denied the bodily resurrection of Christians. They denied that in the end times, as Scripture teaches, we will be raised with a new body as Christ returns to take us home. And and they denied that. And there were consequences to that. A lot starts to fall apart when you remove a key component of the gospel. For example, uh, let me just uh, share a story about unintended consequences. I call this shooting the curtain. You ready for this? When I was a kid, I was the youngest of six boys, scared to stay home alone. My brothers were supposed to watch me, but of course they want to go out and have fun with their friends. So they, would, they gave me this BB gun, pistol, to help me make feel, you know, feel better about staying home alone as an eight-year-old. And so uh, I would practice with this pistol, and I realized quickly it wasn't that powerful. I shot a balloon one time, and the BB came back and hit me in the head. It, it was, couldn't even pop a balloon. And then I thought, let me try the curtain, thinking I guess that was thinner for some reason. I shot the curtain. The baby just hit it and rolled down. So fast forward about it two years, my brothers give me an upgrade. Now I get a 10-pump Daisy BB gun rifle. What do I do? I'm going to do the curtain test. So I go and shoot the curtain. Sure enough, it makes a hole in the curtain. I've got a powerful BB gun. 
Now, fast forward a couple weeks. I'm in my backyard by the pool. I look up. There's a big hole in my bedroom window. Unintended consequences. I didn't realize. I didn't think it through as a 10-year-old, but that by shooting the curtain, the BB would go right through the window as well. And that's what I used to illustrate this, because when they denied the bodily resurrection of the believer, Paul will later in this chapter show them what also falls apart is the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. You cannot change the gospel without these unintended consequences. And that's the context of chapter 15. It's a great chapter. It's a long chapter. We're only going to look at the first 11 verses, which is simply the reminder of the orthodox biblical gospel that we as Christians hold to. I encourage you to read the rest of the chapter. You'll see Paul destroy their argument and show how absurd it is. And then he'll even teach on the bodily resurrection. But today we're going to look at verses 1 through 11. Now, if you look at this passage, this is from another of Paul's letters from Galatians. It gives you the sense that's what's happening here in this church as well. He writes to that church, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. This happened during the the churches of his first journey. It's happening now in Corinth, the church from his second journey. And it will happen to us as well if we don't stay in the gospel. If we are not regularly as individuals, as families, and as a church going through the gospel, being reminded of this hope that we hold to. We have to do that, and that's what Paul will be encouraging us today. In fact, you'll see on the screen kind of the big idea of today's sermon. Today, Paul will teach us how to be renewed by the gospel of Jesus Christ on a recurring basis. And he'll teach us this in three ways. And the first of these ways, as you'll see on the screen, is simply remember. Remember the gospel and what it means to you. Let's read the first couple verses, and I'll show you what I mean. Starting in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says this, Now I would remind you, there you go, there's our reminder. I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel. I preach to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. So he begins saying, remember, remember the gospel that I delivered to you. The greatest gift that any man, woman, or child can receive is the truth of God's saving work through Jesus Christ. What is a gift maybe that you received at some point in your life that you forgot you had and either missed using at a certain opportunity or someone had to remind you? Happened to me a few years ago. We were going to go skiing. And if you know me, I have this thing with my hands. Once the air gets cold... All the blood and temperature leaves my hands. They get freezing. And I was so worried about being on the ski slope for several hours, knowing the gloves would only last and keep my hands warm for maybe an hour. What was I going to do? And my lovely wife, Jennifer, said, you remember the battery-operated hand warmer I bought you for Christmas last year? And it was like, yes. How could I forget that? And that thing saved me. We, too, have to remember this incredible gift. If you look at the passage with me, You'll see he, he reminds them of how he preached this. And then what I love here is he has three verbs that really give us a past, future, and present construction. Really, past, present, and future, just how important the gospel is. Notice these verbs, too. They're all in the passive voice. So in this reminder, you don't see it, but what's implied is God did this for us. 
These were, this was a gift that we received from God as his children. Uh, the first one there, it's in the past tense, the heiress. He says, which you received. Again, think to the time in your lives, those of you who are Christians, when God graciously saved you and opened your eyes and led you to repentance and faith. That's what they're referring to there. And then he moves on. He says, the gospel in which you stand. What's great about that, it's in the perfect tense. And so what it means is that, again, it happened in the past, but it has lasting implications to the present. The gospel in which we stand, the rock of Christ, that is our salvation. And then finally, the third verb, in which you are being saved. That's in the present tense. What's interesting there is in that tense, the way it is, it's forever, all the way into the future, in which you're being saved, this progressive work of Christ. Again, we were, we were saved at one moment in time when God justified us and regenerated us, but nonetheless, the Holy Spirit continues to work his gospel in our lives to progressively make us more and more like Christ between the day we're saved and the day we go home or he returns, whichever happens first. So this incredible reminder, past, present, future, remember this gospel that is your rock, that is everything. Don't forget it. But then he puts a conditional clause here at the end. He says, if, pay attention when you see the word if, if. That is, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you. Now, you see this here, and and you see hold fast, and you might think, oh, that's a work salvation. What do I have to do? Danny, what do I have to do to stay saved? How do I hold fast? Am I doing it? Can you tell me? Am I holding fast? That's not what's intended here. See, we talk so much about imperative commands as pastors, and, and those are good. This is an indicative. We've got to talk about the indicative. What that means is, the things that are already true about us because of Jesus Christ, because of his salvation. The idea here is that if you are saved, you will hold fast because of the power of God working in your life. It's an indicative. It's a fruit. It's a characteristic of his grace. Let me illustrate. Anyone know the egg test? You find a bunch of eggs in the back of your fridge, or maybe they're still in the barn or the chicken coop, and you don't know if they're good. Y'all know the egg test? Yeah. What you do is get some cold water. That's right. You get a pot, put your suspect eggs in the bottom of the pot, fill it up with water. The eggs that are good will hold fast to the bottom of the pot. But the eggs that are not good will float to the top. Throw those eggs away, of course. So what's indicative about those eggs is in them. Again, on the outside, they all look the same. But when you... Put certain characteristics, you'll see which ones hold fast and which ones don't. And that's all Paul's saying here. And then he says, unless you can't hold fast, you're not holding fast, you believed in vain. And what he means there by in vain is your faith in the gospel was superficial. You really didn't consider the gospel. At that time, you weren't saved, essentially a false convert. Again, for me, 15 years old, I was raised, as many of you know, Roman Catholic, Lutheran background, but at 15, uh, my, I hung out with this kid. He was pretty bad. And his parents thought if they sent him to a Baptist church, it would fix him. So I went to the youth group with him, and it was cool. It was fun. And at, at some point, they presented the gospel, and they said, anyone want to be saved, just pray. Pray this prayer, and you'll be saved. I did it. I believed in vain. I was not saved at that point. So that's kind of what Paul is saying here. But nonetheless, remember. Now, a few points of application uh, before we move on, first, look at this passage from 2 Corinthians, another one of Paul's letters. 
And this is where he's instructing us. Hey, don't take it for granted. Again, we don't want to have anyone doubt their salvation. But it's healthy for us as we remember the gospel to examine ourselves. And he he tells the same church in, in his second letter, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless, indeed, you fail to meet the test. So that's a very healthy thing for us. Second point of application is this. When you look at this passage, you see this past, present, future foundation of the gospel. The gospel cannot be compartmentalized. And that's a problem here in America, is that we kind of uh, save Sunday for church. We'll do the Christian thing on Sunday and then kind of get back to our regular life. No, the biblical gospel takes over your life. It's everything. It's not just something you can attach on the side. Okay, we're going to do the Christian thing now. Biblical gospel, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit in you, is everything. Another point of application, it's important every day, those of us who are believers, find a time to remember, to meditate on what God has done for us. Our, our salvation because of Christ is like a beautiful jewel or diamond that you could look at from so many different angles, different light, and appreciate what he has done. We need to find that time each day, even if only for a few minutes. Don't forget what God has done for you. And then finally, we're not supposed to remember the gospel by ourselves. That's what church is for. That's what the one another commands in Scripture are for. That's why here at the Church of Blue Ridge, Sunday morning is important. But it's not the main thing we do. The main thing is living together in missional community groups where the Bible intends for us to remind one another lovingly of the grace of the gospel. Because the reality is, we're all still sinners. And our lives can get messy at times. We need one another. We need each other always. And that's why missional community is so important for us here. You'll see this passage here talking about living life together as a church. This comes from Hebrews. And the writer of Hebrews says this, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, you've probably heard that verse uh, used to get everyone to attend on Sunday, right? Come to, don't, don't miss Sunday. And Sunday is important. But again, the heart of this is really us doing life together as the saved people of God. What a great passage for us today. So again, first thing Paul wants to do, the first way uh, for us to be renewed by the gospel is to remember, remember Christ's salvation through the gospel. The second thing is believe. Now, I believe it's getting warm in here, so I'm going to turn it, up, turn it down a little bit. Maybe it's just me, but I see some fans out there, so I'm going to help us all out. There we go. That should help a bit. But the second way is he wants us to believe. Now, we're already saved, right? Of course. But it's so important to continue to believe and maintain this belief in the biblical gospel. Again, if anything else, to protect us from any the false teachers who might come and try to get us to doubt what God has done. So we pick up in verse 3, and we're going to read through verse 7. I want you to see here uh, three of these verses we're going to read, and we're going to talk about this in a moment, but it's actually, it's probably an early church confession that Paul's quoting that he inserts in his letter here. It's really neat. So picking back up in verse 3, Paul writes this, For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. 
Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Now, picking up in verse 3, what's great here, he says, I delivered what I also received. Now, we don't pick this up in the English, but, but the word, uh, how he uses the words delivered and received is technical language. This is technical Jewish transmission language. It probably comes from Paul's background as a Pharisee. This importance of taking this incredible truth and delivering it faithfully to those who would follow. Now, now think in terms of food. Again, that's part of my second illustration about food. I, we love to eat here at the Church of Blue Ridge, as you can see. Uh, what would you rather have? Okay, I'm your cook. I'm going to make for you all a meal. You have two options. Same meal, same ingredients. But over here are all farm fresh produce, meats, bread. Everything's fresh, right? Farm to table. Over here, it's all frozen ingredients. Heavily processed, additives, preservatives. But nonetheless, the same meal. All right, raise your hand if you want farm fresh. Raise your hand if you want frozen food. Okay, so oh, there's always a couple. The kids, of course. Kids, I love frozen food. Hungry man, oh man, that was the best. So essentially, hungry drover, farmhouse tacos over here, Applebee's over here. We know how you guys like to eat. That's great. Just kidding. Come on. But farm fresh, farm to table. That's kind of that's that's what Paul's talking about here. This incredible thing. I got it. I didn't add anything to it. I didn't, you know do anything weird with it. I just, it was given to me and I'm giving it to you. And what's great in Acts 26, that Paul's on trial. We'll get here in a a few weeks um, here at the Church of Blue Ridge. Please come back and join us for Acts. But this is great because he's giving us the story of the Damascus Road experience. He's given us more content to what Jesus actually said to him on the Damascus Road. And, uh, And look here, what Jesus says to Paul as he's now blinded by the light on the ground. Jesus says, but rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as servant and witness to the Gentiles, to whom I am sending you to open their eyes, so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. This is who he received it from. He received the gospel from Jesus Christ himself. And now he's delivering it to them, or he's reminding them of how he delivered it to them. And if you, you'll see uh, the next four verses up on a slide to help us understand. And all four of these sentences, these clauses, are introduced by the same conjunction, that. That's how we know it's, a, it's an outside, or part of an outside confessional that Paul is using here that they probably used in worship as the church. So this is great. Here we are almost 2,000 years later using it as well. This is the gospel. And mark this in your Bibles. If you're sharing the gospel, you want a passage to go to where it just summarizes the main points of the gospel of Jesus Christ, this is your passage. First one, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Well, notice the first and third one are really the two main points, and they're both modified by the same phrase, according to the scriptures. That would be according to the entire Old Testament. Not one passage or, or this passage, but the whole witness of the Old Testament proves this. The second and fourth sentence, uh, what they do is they kind of reinforce the one that preceded it. Now, what I love about the first one here is that he doesn't just say that he was crucified. 
says that Christ died for our sins. Friends, underline that, circle that, highlight that. That is the main tenet of Christianity right there. That is what makes the gospel the gospel. And what's sad to me is even right now on Easter morning, there are churches around this country that don't believe that. And yet they still call themselves churches. That is what it's all about. The atonement of our sins by our loving God who hung for us on the cross to pay our sin debt. And the gospel, there's an offense to it. This is why the world doesn't like Christianity. This is why we get singled out more than any other religion because of the offense of the cross. Because what that implies is we're all sinners. And people don't like to be called sinners. That's why they hate the gospel. That's why they hate Jesus. That's why they may even hate you and I. But guess what? We're not called to hate them back. We've got to love them just as he loved us and died for us. So he died for our sins on the cross. The second line, he was buried. And remember our context in Corinth. They're, they're denying the, the physical resurrection of believers. And with the implication, again, denying that there was a real dead body. And folks, there was a corpse. Jesus was a corpse after they took him off the cross. He was not some spiritual weird thing going on. He was all flesh, 100% God, 100% man. We have a corpse on our hands. He was buried. And then verse 3, praise God. Here we are, Easter morning. He was raised on the third day, again, according to the Scripture. The word raised there is also in the perfect tense. So really you could interpret that. He was raised and he's still risen today. Let's try it out here, right? Jesus is risen. Amen. Praise God for his glorious grace. And then finally, again, modifying the resurrection, he appeared, the risen Lord. The risen Lord with a physical new body appeared to Cephas. That's another word for Peter. So that's Peter and the twelve. Again, all part of that ancient creed. There, my friends, is the gospel we hold to. The gospel that we are called to believe and continue to believe to gain our hope and our strength and our courage from for the glory of God. A few application points. Again, you'll notice that the very first part of verse 3, he said, I deliver to you of first importance. The gospel is the primary reason we are here. It's of first importance. As a church, there's nothing else that matters. This is the mission. Everything that we do has to have implications about the gospel, that as it was given to us, we are finding ways to take it to those in our circles of life, to those that God has called us to reach here in Blue Ridge and even around the world. It is the main thing. It has to stay the main thing. Where churches stop being churches is where they let it fall away, and they allow other things to crowd the gospel out, yeah, good things, but not great things. The gospel is of first importance. Uh, second, I just want to give you some practical advice that's worked for me in my life as I'm reading through the scriptures regularly. Return to one of the four gospel accounts every few months. It's just been a, a nice habit for me. You know, Again, I love reading through different books of the Bible, but I try to find my way back to Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John uh, every few months. Again, nothing legalistic here. It's just really helpful to be reminded of this great truth that God has given us. Uh, you'll see here, uh, again, a great passage from Acts 5. Here is, here is Peter. Here are the apostles on trial. This could have gone either way. They're probably in the same room that Jesus was falsely condemned in. And look what Peter says. Talk about believing. The, the Pharisees just got done saying, hey, we, 
We thought we told you guys not to preach in this name. You're trying to bring this man's blood upon us. Peter stands up and says, hey, we must obey God, not man. And then he says this, the God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses to these things. So, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. The apostles believed. And with it, they went and they proclaimed, we must follow suit uh, as well. So there we've seen two ways that, that uh, Paul's giving us in this great passage. Remember, believe, and then finally, identify. Identify. Let's pick back up at the text in verse 8. One more resurrection appearance he wants to mention to us. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Now, this word identify is common today in our society. Big question, how do you identify? How do you identify? You can identify in many different ways. I've even heard people identifying as cats and wanting to marry their computers. So things are getting crazy, and we, we shouldn't be surprised. The wrath of God is being revealed in our nation. But for Christians, it's so important that we learn what it means to identify in Christ. Daily, again, being reminded by the gospel, continually believing in his truth, identifying in Christ, letting that be our identity with who we are. In fact, I, I've, I see many Christians, believers, and sometimes that's been me struggling emotionally with such crippling realities as fear, worry, anxiety, and depression. And what happens with that, if it's anything like with me, is circumstances in my life or sin that I've done or maybe sin that's been done to me begin to build who I am in my mind, these horizontal things, and, and I forget who I am. And what we need to learn is to develop a habit, habit like Paul had, of remembering who we are in Christ, not how people try to label us, not how my guilt tries to label me or remind me. Because at the end of the day, none of us were saved out of the sin Paul was saved out of. He was a murderer. He killed Christians. He tried to destroy the church of God. He had Christians thrown in jail, beaten. I doubt any of us have been saved out of something like that. And as we see here, look at, look at what he says. You see, the, the Corinthian church doubted his apostleship. You'll see that in, in the letters if you read through them. And he was always on the defensive with them. Now, they, they doubted his apostleship because they thought he was too short or fat or balding or didn't have a good speaking voice. Very shallow things. Paul starts, he really agrees with them. And at this point, they're saying, yeah, that's right. You are the least of all apostles, not just in order, but you're, who are you? You're just, you know, you're not as cool as Peter. You're not as cool as the other guys. So Paul's like, no, you're right. I am last of all, but not for the reason you think, because I persecuted the church. Paul never forgot what Christ saved him out of. But yet he doesn't let what, what could be a very crippling thing very crippling identity keep him 
from serving God. Because look what he says on the tail end of that. But, verse 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. My friends, I want to encourage you to memorize that. Because for all of those of us who are believers in this room, we all know the sinners that we were. I mean, there's an old old saying, I think Tommy, Tommy Nelson preached this. He said, hey, if you knew what I thought, you wouldn't want me to be your pastor. But if I knew what you were thinking, I wouldn't want you in my church. Right? We're all a mess. We're all a mess. And, and if and we could self-condemn or allow the enemy to condemn us all day long, Paul doesn't. Paul never did, at least from what we can tell in Scripture. I'm sure he had his bad days. But he didn't forget who he was in Christ. Look at this uh, passage he writes in Philippians. I love this passage. And this is truth, folks. The moment you and I were saved, we were no longer citizens of earth, citizens of heaven. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. This is why Paul didn't allow his past to cripple his present, because he knew who he was. He continually identified more so in Christ and the gospel and what Christ had done in his life and where he was going very soon that he didn't allow his past to cripple his presence. We, too, need to follow his example. Paul, my friends, took his own medicine. Isn't that great? He's pretty much prescribing this so far in the passage. And then we see evidence of himself that he was a doer of the word. He's believing the same thing that he's teaching us. Remember, believe, identify in Christ. Now, as we get to our final application, uh, I have a slide up here. Just, just This is kind of what helps me. I want to, want to give this to you as well. So if you have something to write this down, please do. But this is a way in which that we can identify with Christ on a daily, regular basis. This has to become a habit. Uh, that Most of our problems in life are bad habits. We learn to take off the old man, the, the, the bad habit from our old manner of life, replace it with the new man, uh, and here's a way in which we can do this. First, just like we are today, remember who Christ is. Remember the God who now is our Father. Uh, Philippians 4, 6, you'll know very well, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything through prayer and supplication, make your requests known to God. But I think they got the numbering wrong because it should have started the, the last part of verse 5. You know what that says? The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious. See, it makes a difference. Remember who he is. He is the strongest man who is right with us at all times. The greatest power that we have in us. Second, remember what he did. That's what we did today. 1 Corinthians 15. Remember the gospel story. Remember what Jesus Christ did for us. And how he rose from the grave defeating death. And one day we will follow. Third, remember how he saved you. Remember when when he transformed you from darkness to light, when he saved and rescued you uh, by faith. And then finally, in whatever circumstance you're struggling, learn how to follow his truth and obedient faith. Learn how to follow and believe what he says in his word more so than what your feelings are trying to do to you or the accusations of others. Follow truth and not feelings. That's what Paul's doing here. That's what he's showing us. Identify in Christ. A final passage, I think I've quoted almost every one of his letters today intentionally, and this comes from Colossians 3. 
uh, where Paul's teaching them this very same principle of vertical orientation. He says, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. As we come to the invitation time of the sermon, there's two invitations I want to make. First, to those of you who are believers, my brothers and sisters in Christ, if God has, just even through this whole service, as we've sung, as we've listened to his word, we're going to take the Lord's Supper here in a little bit, and even the rest of your day, as you meditate upon the gospel, as you're reminded of this gospel truth, if, if, God's, if God's spoken to you today or opened your eyes or encouraged you in any way, your homework assignment is to share that with one other believer, actually anybody, sometime this week. God encouraged you or has encouraged you today. Share that with somebody. Get in the habit of reminding one another about this glorious gospel that we hold to. And the second invitation is for those of you who aren't saved. I know for sure some in this room don't know the Lord. And that's okay. That's great. You're in the right place. And we're here to encourage you and come alongside you on your journey in life. But I want you to think about what God has done. This is not about a religion, right? Jesus didn't come to start a religion. He came to rescue his children by hanging on the cross to to pay our sin debt, that which keeps us separated from God. He was buried, and then Easter, he defeated death. The grave couldn't hold him. Death was a curse for sin. Of course, Jesus knew no sin. He wasn't sinful. Literally, the grave had to spit him back out. That's our God. Repent and believe. That's the call that me and my fellow Christians are are, are told to share with you. Just turn from whatever it is you're putting your hope in and run after Christ. It doesn't matter what you've done. Look look at Paul. Look at Paul. Oh, my goodness. And he's he's an apostle. We would say the most productive apostle of all for the glory of God. He can do, do that with you and even more. You would just come to him and believe this truth. And we're here to help with that. A lot of people here in this room you could talk to today. I'll be around. Please come chase one of us down or throughout the week. We want to have that conversation with you. It's why we're here. It's what it's all about. But for those of us who are saved, develop the habit in your life of remembering, believing, and identifying with the gospel of Jesus Christ every day that we won't find ourselves slipping away into things that aren't true, or even just being buried by the circumstances of life, which can carry us far off from the shore of Jesus. All right, the band's going to come up and continue this time of worship and song, uh, but please join me in a word of prayer now uh, as we transition to that. Lord, what a great day it is. What a great day it is for us as your people to remember what you have done. Lord, I want every day to be Easter for me, and I pray you help me to do that. Help, help, let not a day go by where I don't consider these same things and rehearse this glorious rescue that you have performed for your glory and for the salvation of your children. Let me rehearse it each day. Let, let me do the very thing that I'm sharing. Teach me how to identify more and more with the reality of who I am in Christ, not who I am on earth. I pray that for my brothers and sisters in this room as well, Lord God. We will be strengthened. That, that circumstances, the fear, 
Depression won't knock us over and leave us down, but we will stand and stand with you because of your power through the Holy Spirit and through your glorious gospel. Lord, please strengthen us and teach us how to develop this habit in our life. And finally, Lord, I just want to pray for the people in this room, men, women, children who don't know you, Lord God. Father, you are the Savior. You alone convert the heart. There's nothing we can do to save anybody, but we're here to proclaim and to preach. Father, open their eyes, penetrate their hearts, lead them to recognize the truth, to repent and turn and to believe in you by faith in the gospel. Father, please use us as a church. Give us the courage like Paul to go and proclaim the gospel to the people in our lives, the people around Blue Ridge, the people we work with, live with, Father, let us be faithful, like Paul and the apostles, to teach your truth. Oh, Lord God, bring millions to Christ today. We ask this in your holy name. Amen.